Happy to be coming to you today from the Great American Trucking Show in Dallas, where Wednesday night, country star and gospel singer, actor, and so much more, uh, Mr. Leon Everett and the Stone Creek Four, started us up Wednesday night with that little sound check of sorts. And much more you'll hear later in this edition of the Overdrive Radio Podcast. I'm Todd Dills, and though the news has been dominated this week and the previous one by the hours of service rule, I sat down at Gats for a chat about history training, and more with Jay Thompson of Transportation Business Associates. In years past, Thompson's been quite a resource for me when it comes to owner-operator and trucking history in general. He grew up in rural Indiana and started his working career driving big trucks, route taken by the generations of men in his family as well, all the way back to his grandfather. That grandfather, Walter, had a chauffeur's license at age 18 in 1917. And given we're talking today as an industry about the potential for a pilot program for under-21 CDL drivers uh, to drive interstate, Thompson and I sat down to sort of ferret out a little bit of the history there. As Thompson says, history often repeats itself in various ways. I have a kindred spirit with you in one sense, is that you like, you like digging up. The past always repeats in different ways, and so that's a lot of the positive stuff. Right, right. Anyway, introduce yourself for us, Jay, and uh, t- tell us to give us a quick, uh, the quick, uh, quick and dirty of you know who you are and what you do. Okay, uh, Jay Thompson. Um, I'm one of the people in the industry that's been around forever, and uh, since the, well, since the 70s, in in one sense, so 40 plus years, 40, 41 if you count when from college on. But um, uh, operated a lot of farm equipment as a kid. Uh, then uh, during college drove trucks, uh, big trucks, and so that um, that's one of the ways that I helped pay my way through college. Ended up out of there, was with Cummins Diesel Maker 13 years, ended up over sales service and field engineering for the western U.S. and uh, in 1990 started our company that um, 
called Transportation Business Associates. It's Yasuo Group doing businesses, Transportation Business Associates, been in the, uh, I call it um, business to reality, okay. trucking to reality uh, um, side of it for since 1990, and owned several trucking companies. We were doing stuff out of bankruptcy, got into a bunch of profitability work, and then started working with a number of investors where some of those have owned trucking uh, interests, and that swerved back into my true schooling, which was natural gas in, in transportation, and then currently also working with a company called Drove Technologies, which is new technologies for the future. And, and you grew up in Indiana, right? Yep, south of south uh, southern Indiana, down by Terre Haute, Indiana, which was coal mining and um, farming were the were the vices of the day down there. And uh, and uh, of course, there were a lot of uh, trucking related stuff around that. So uh, one of the companies that I worked with was dump trucks, and so you did coal and and construction work. There was a big company in Terre Haute, Indiana. And then another summer, I drove a log truck. So can you imagine a young kid driving a log truck? And that actually was uh, interstate uh, because back then you could, uh, if you uh, if it was a private company hauling your own products, which would which logging was, uh, they were they were uh, doing mining or they were doing uh, logging in Illinois and and uh, hauling it to sawmills in Indiana. And so I was truck driver doing that one summer. Right. And you were, and this was, you were not 21 at this point, you were, I mean, this was eight, you were how old, 18? 18 and 19, yeah. so, yep, yeah. 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 And, you know, when you, when you think about your history there, and then uh, we'll get to the history of your grandfather as well, um, you know, what, uh, when you, and you see this debate currently ongoing about whether we need, a, you know, a, a pilot program to potentially expand some of the options for 18 to 20 year old people who want to have a CDL uh, and operate interstate, um, uh, just, you know, what, what are your thoughts on, on that debate now, given, you know, the, the history that, that you have and that you know about uh, in trucking? Yeah, it, it, in one sense, it's scary, um, because when I think of some of uh, our younger relatives and stuff, and you think of uh, me being behind the wheel of a big truck, I'm sure it was scary for some people back then too. <laughs> but, but for, um, it, but there are a bunch of good young people who are capable and have got the mental capacity and the passion to do it. And 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 I think that's part of what we all grew up with back in that, at least that neck of the woods, was that you know that was an honorable uh, thing to do. And you know one of the other things that to think about today is just how do we asking the question how do we get good young people interested in in our industry and part of that is grab them at a young age and there are a bunch of young motorheads around and um, you know between I keep thinking about at least from my experience it was a lot of farm kids as well as you know I mean we end up thinking about the military um, Again, you know, uh, got a lot of good young people who are responsible and are passionate about it, and you know, that have that desire to to um, not only be you know to to work in the logistics world, but also to see the world, or see see the states from that regard. Right, right. Um, tell me, you sent me this great picture of your uh, uh, of your grandfather Walter's his name, right? So Walter Walter Thompson, um, the picture that I've seen is one that's on a CDL of his, and I believe this was the year he turned 21. But but he was out there. Or no, it's not a CDL; it's a chauffeur's license for those days. Um, but he he had uh, he had his chauffeur's license well before he was 21, and he was uh, driving one of the early trucks of the day. Give us a, give us a little history about uh, Walter. Yeah, Walter. Is- it, 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 it's it's crazy whenever I think about it that my grandfather was born in 1899, but he was a mentor. He was an entrepreneur of his day. He was he was involved in was this one of the first Standard Oil guys in 1924. Wow. After, after that, but it, but uh, he came from a farm family. Uh, again, our our whole family came from the farm. It was even a, a crazier story. His his father, so my great grandfather. Uh, fought in the Civil War, okay. and he went and fought for another man. So you could you could do your time and then 
fight for somebody else and get paid. And okay. he used that money to buy the farm. Okay. So that was the genesis of the farm. And so, but he was the youngest of a big brood of kids. And so they all kind of did different things. And he ended up, uh, youngest as a twin, as, as an entrepreneur of his day. And um, he would do anything for work. And of course, um, that's how he then, when he tells the story, he was telling the story. He was ended up being one of my mentors. And uh, he would tell the stories about how um, you know, he would do anything for work and stuff and was talking about, well, I was a truck driver. And okay. you know, and that's how he talked about it. And, 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 then we, and then what got more interesting to me is uh, going back to the freight side of things, he would talk about how the freight worked in those days. And so it was, again, most of the freight was dropped at rail uh, stations and then they distributed either out to the general store, like the truck picture you saw of him in front of or beside, um, was a general. Delivery. You can see that picture in the August 24, 2019 post on the Channel 19 blog, which also houses this edition of the podcast, featuring Walter Thompson in the 19 teens with his delivery truck, the big vehicles at the time. The distribution model Jay Thompson likens to, uh, at its essence, what Amazon is doing today. And so it's a model that we would kind of think about today when we think about, okay, we're back to that again, you know. Uh, Again, a a whole different model from that regard, but local delivery out to stuff. And so he he ended up doing that for um, um, a number of years as a young guy, just hustling it up. And then, um, and that's whenever he then got into the... um, uh, he had the opportunity for Standard Oil um, okay. in, in 1924, as, and um, and so uh, that it was an it was an interesting set of stories, and and uh, what also got interesting is that some of his contemporaries there in the little town we grew up in, um, again talked about trucking from early days, and and because uh, a lot of my interests got around because I've always been involved in refrigerated uh, food, I've always had a bias towards that. But he, um, th- this one of the other guys, uh, one of his other good uh, friends, used to was one of the early produce haulers. Was one of the first early, um, what we would call, you know, um, owner operators of his day. And sure. so they were hauling produce out of Florida and stuff back to Indiana in these straight trucks that were gasoline powered. And you know, and the stories were crazy on how they would run the hills and right. stuff. But. Um, the, the funniest part was one of his stories was uh, this hauling, uh, tr- you know, trying to do a backhaul in early days. And he thought, well, what do we have a lot here that maybe somebody could use in the south? And he really didn't know it and what it could be, but it ended up being coal. Okay. So he was loading coal on his truck going south, but then come to find out people really didn't want or need coal in the south. And so he was getting desperate as he got down there. And make a long story short, he um, ended up selling to some guy who made coke for you know for other uses for for coal at, at, at the time down there and so it was it, it was interesting to see how they ended up doing them back and forth from that regard right yeah and I mean these these men are are you know I just, I just think back of the owner operators of those days and these are these are largely young men too right like this this is kind of guys uh, going out and buying buying equipment uh, you know, just as they're getting out there and starting to work, is and owning the freight, and so yeah. they also, uh, yeah. th- which is which was different than today, of course, is and you know hardly anything was brokered. When they hauled a load of produce, they bought it, yeah. delivered it, and then try and, and right. so they were doing the whole, uh, you know, the whole logistics management part of it. Yeah, so right. it's, yeah, and and entrepreneurial and doing it, and and again, no, you know, few. Um, regulatory things thrown in as well as licensing and the rest right, right. so yeah you, you start you start thinking about what we had to used to do to to get licensing there too and because i remember asked my grandfather I said, so what'd you have to do to go get a license to get a chauffeur's license because i was going to get one when i was 18 and he said um he says well shoot you just went down and applied for it he says it was nothing nothing no testing or anything and that kind of was taking me back to my uh, the first time I got a chauffeur's license at 18, and that was the same thing. You you got the trucking company to sign off a piece of paper, and you took it down to the drivers um, down to the license branch, and they gave you <laughs> they gave you a chauffeur's license. Okay. 
a lot more, a lot simpler than what we go through today. Right? Yes, yeah. So I had kept my chauffeurs um, actually uh, even at my time at Cummins, where um, I, uh, we were running a bunch of test trucks up in the mountains in Colorado, and so I'd, I would I would love to sneak out in them and, and do some of the tests just because I enjoyed it so much. And um, I let it go. I let the license go. And then when I started owning trucks, um, I got it back again. But I had to do the CDL. And um, so I got all in, all the endorsements at the time. And um, it was it was it didn't the, probably some of the funniest stories that came out of that is that whenever I would see one of our other drivers and I'd be out driving one of our trucks, they would it would kind of freak them out a little bit. But there are a lot of really good trucking companies today who have their management. Um, either get or have had CDLs and um, you know that that does a whole lot to help bridge that gap between um, owners you know owners and management and and the uh, people out on the road yeah I'd, I'd say so and I've seen some seen some examples of that uh, somewhat recently and you know and with most small trucking companies of course uh, or with a lot of small trucking companies uh, they, they they're springing from uh, owners that you know started as owner operators in many cases or uh, drove in the past you know so what kind of restrictions you know do you think are needed for uh, if if any for uh, drivers under 21 in in such a, a pilot program for this or uh, or um, or if we were to open it up more broadly like what what kind of restrictions might be appropriate I guess yeah I, th I would say that um you know, a couple different things. Um, you know, one of them that, that becomes top of mind are really leveraging a lot of the technologies that we have today. I mean, it's a double-edged sword because so many people end up um, with uh, becoming too dependent on on um, um, the technology. I mean, I, you know, I think you've had some analogies in the past on airplanes, so I'm an airplane guy too. Okay. And, you know, I, I follow that stuff with a lot of interest. Right. And uh, because, of course, um, you know, the majority of regulations come after accidents and stuff. And so then the, the question becomes, what, what can you use with the technology? That's a lot of the drove kind of stuff that we're looking at there, too. Okay. It says, how do you tie, uh, you know, what results you want to the right technology without really um, screwing up yeah. the, the capabilities of the individual? I mean, because you don't want to become too dependent upon... Uh, technology to where you know the, you don't end up using common sense in in day-to-day uh, -day operations and stuff and I think that's probably when I listen to the, the DOT and FMCSA kind of questions and stuff it seems like it's like they're struggling with that to say oh you know when, when you think of the ultimate uh, um, option that's going to be in the marketplace with autonomous vehicles right. and yes there's some right places for that to work and so I, I kind of follow that same logic that says, okay, what, what can we do to make a pilot that, that um, um, you know, helps manage those risks, if you will, and, and of course then tying in the insurance industry because they're going to be a huge player in it too. Am I going to underwrite these people? And so, um, you know, what, 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 what I've ended up thinking about anyway from a standpoint of making it work is what are you wanting to get done to minimize um, um, risk from that regard and you think of some of the big folks that have you know the big yards with um, you know with with a lot of equipment even in the yard you you know one thing is to say you know put them right into the in the belly of the beast to say okay start off you know driving a, uh, a load a hostler around a yard because you know of course the biggest issue always is how do you manage um, you know how do you manage backing and stuff because when you, you you just start going down the list and say okay what's the biggest you know what's the biggest accident issue or what's the biggest risk issue and it's rear ends okay but that's a that's on the, a lot on the road kind of stuff but what's number two you know number two is backing number backing three something, yeah. yeah number three is side swiping and so okay you can when, when I start thinking about a program like that you say okay we can start doing some of this stuff in people's yards um, that, that you know, would help ferret out some of that stuff. And that, of course, is the toughest, you know, in my estimation, besides the lifestyle and there's, there's vehicle operation issues, there's the home kind of people issues that say you got to get the right kind of people to, 
you know, to be, uh, you know, be in the industry. And of course, then the money's got to be there too. But from an operational standpoint, to me, that's part of it is to get, and, and I think that's, that's what from a, you know, from a regs standpoint or from a, um, you know, prep standpoint, a lot of people I think are looking mostly around the, um, the vehicle operational kind of thing. And that's one way to ferret that out. And then along with that, from a, from that standpoint is to do almost like what you can do today with intrastate. You know, 18-year-olds can can do it today there too, but, um, right. you know, just because of the way so much freight moves, there's got to be a, you know, a way just to emulate that. Uh, again, kind of in a setting that's, that's more controlled to say, you know, out back, you don't want to put somebody just at all, over the road right off the bat because then they're dealing not only with the vehicle operation stuff, but also the home life stuff, you know, do they even have a, uh, you know, that ability to, to uh, live in that in, in, in lifestyle. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of like where, where are the rules to just change overnight? Um, it feels to me a little bit like, um, not, a, not a lot would change very fast. And, and, and the way that companies now ease people into over the road operations, uh, you know, like you said, begin. I mean, what you described there is a, a familiar process, right? Like uh, beginning on site in the yard, um, even as a mechanic. You know, in high school, a lot of you see a lot of small fleets hiring their hiring their uh, nephews and yep. and what have you uh, to work in the shop, and and then they get into the truck and at 18 and haul a little intrastate if the um, mm-hmm. if the or deliver something, or there. Move, move it around the yard. You know, yeah. a mechanic will move the vehicle in and out. It'll hook them up. They'll uh, like one of the things those dump truck people that I work for. They did call, and um, I mean, I would do anything. I mean, you name it, I would try it, and uh, I mean, made some pretty good mistakes. And that's where the that's where the best lessons come from. Like, that's where the learning comes from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah and. In, I mean, I guess the the thing you want to guard against with with regulation on this is uh, these people being taken advantage of and put into situations where they're sort of set up to fail, you know, or or you know, getting themselves into situations where they're right. set up to fail that they're unprepared for, right? Yeah, true. And I, and again, that's where I think. I mean, the, the big difference today, of course. I mean, when I think of the trucks that we drove, that I drove to start off with, I mean, they're triplex, and I'm thinking. I mean, of course, I really screwed up with that thing, uh, <laughs> learning it. And, and I remember the guy riding with me whenever he was teaching me how to do it. This guy had the patience of Job because, <laughs> I mean, I remember stopped in the middle of a bunch of traffic and yeah. had stopped a whole bunch of traffic just because I went around a corner and I couldn't couldn't get it in a gear. <laughs> and uh, and I can remember sweating and, and just going. Yeah. Of course, we didn't have air conditioning or anything in the trucks. But, um, you know, again, you, you start thinking about the trucks of today with, auto shift and and then probably more so the technologies that you can put around it that not only you can have somebody that as a coach in the in the vehicle with them for a while or whatever the time is but but as much or more so you know you could easily just say um, with all these analytics and stuff both in the cab uh, you know looking at how the person is reacting or doing or not doing to help um, garner information on you know what functionally we need to do from an industry standpoint but again when i start thinking then about you know technology that we put on the truck and the trailer and the load and stuff you're getting like g-forces or any of that kind of stuff you can start really seeing not only you know how they're operating how they're braking how they're um you know how they're looking around the vehicle and stuff um to me that ends up being a, a coaching um uh, opportunity that we haven't had in the past. You, what, what was the town? Did you say the name of the town in Indiana where you grew up? Yeah, it's a spot on the map. Oh, okay. It used to be a truck stop there, though, so it's a lot of old, okay, older yeah. trucker people to know. But it's a town called Shelburne, Indiana. Shelburne, okay. Shelburne. So it's south of Terre Haute, Indiana. It's US 41. So a lot of there's been some songs written in the past about US 41. It was the main artery between Chicago and uh, Florida. And so a lot of commerce went up and down that road. And so 
uh, that was before like interstate the inter it was uh, you know uh, way be uh, before the interstate highway system and, yeah yeah and so um, it's still it's it's a fairly heavy heavily traveled corridor and um, yeah the town you, you hear those stories about towns dying little towns dying well this town died uh, but it yeah I don't know that there's any businesses within the within the city limits anymore it's a town of a thousand people and um, well that included all the um, farming. yeah farming in adjacent areas and stuff it's a great place to grow up I mean it was it was in one sense rough and tumble because it was coal mining but um, but then a lot of terrific families and, and and stuff from there so nothing but fond uh, fond memories of it thanks again to Jay Thompson for those memories I also talked Wednesday to gospel and country singer-songwriter Leon Everett, who's performing as the headliner tonight, Saturday, at the Gats Truck Parking Stage. That's 3013 South Haskell Avenue in the T.A. Petro parking community, where performances have been ongoing since Wednesday night. Everett and trucker singer-songwriter uh, Bill Weaver, with the Kingsport, Tennessee-based Stone Creek 4, gave us a bit of a preview later that night on Wednesday. A little of, which, little of which you'll hear following this brief talk with Everett. The songwriter talks a little through his history and present in music, acting, and more. When we first began talking, Everett was wearing a uh, vintage mellow yellow t-shirt that I ended up asking him about. Yeah, well, we drove in. Uh, I live in South Carolina, and we drove in, and uh, this is the first trucking show I've done. And, uh, man, I tell you what. I'd have met a lot of brothers and sisters out here. It's a, it's a close-knit family. Uh, they're all kind of crazy, but uh, close-knit, you know. <laughs> but I have really enjoyed it. And uh, tonight, uh, I think My Right is... Uh, my Right Load. Yeah, My Right Load. They're doing a little thing here tonight and all. And uh, they asked me when I get up there and jam some tonight. So it's, it's not like really a show show. It's just get up there and have fun and, you know, jam. And so I said, yeah, man, we'll do that, you know. So... So that's what we're fixing to kick off here in a little bit. Uh, it's supposed to start at 7 o'clock, but have you noticed we're still yeah. not doing it yet? <laughs> yeah, it's not. What time is it? 7.15. Hey, you know, yeah, well, it's yeah, truck you show know. time. We're right on time, man. Truck show time. Yeah, we're going to jam out and then uh, Stone Creek Band from yep. uh, Stone Creek 4. They're from, yeah, from King, uh, Kingsport, Tennessee. I yeah, think. yeah. They, they drove yeah. all the way over here. So yeah. I, uh, we haven't practiced or done anything. I think it's kind of... It's gonna be a good practice for Saturday night, you know. Where, where, where in South Carolina are you from? Uh, a place called Ward, South Carolina. Back yeah. when I used to do Hee Haw, we used to say Hee Haw salutes my hometown of Ward, South Carolina. Stop signing a store. Eighty-seven people stop signing a store for a long time. Okay. That's how big it is. It's about, it's about thirty-five miles north of Aiken, South Carolina. Yeah. Okay. And so, I, the reason that one of the reasons I asked was um, I grew up in Rock Hill. Oh, Rock yeah. Hill. Yeah. yeah, you're about. It's up north, it's near 90, Charlotte. About yeah. 900 miles, you'll say, Rock yeah. Hill. Yeah. Anyways, uh, Mellow Yellow was big, uh, is big in that area for sure, and I, I noticed you're wearing a Mellow Yellow shirt. Yeah, well, you know, in 1983 is whenever they came, Coca-Cola, it's a Coca-Cola product. Yep. And in 1983 is when they came out with the Mellow Yellow, and uh, so I was at the right place at the right time. Uh, I don't know if I, should I name the artist or not, but anyway, Coca-Cola was at Billy Bob's, okay. and they was looking at two artists, one in, uh, one on Thursday night and one on Saturday night, and I was playing on the Friday night. So they came out there because they were negotiating with these two artists about, you know, kicking the Mellow Yellow product off. So anyway, uh, on Friday night, the Coca-Cola people, they just came back to Billy Bob's to party and have a good time. Advertising agents of people, and uh, so I got a call from my agent Monday morning and said, "Man, he said, uh, what do you think about doing a, a soft drink commercial, <laughs> something called Mellow Yellow?" Right. I said, "What's a Mellow Yellow?" <laughs> you know, and uh, they said, "Coca, it's a Coca-Cola product, and they want to get it, you know, kicked off." And they was wanting an artist, and they came to look at these other two, but they fell in love with you, <laughs> and they want to know, would you be interested? And I said, "Well, yeah, yeah, we'll talk about it." So we went to Kansas City, Missouri, where they advertise an agency that does it for them. And we made the deal, and so I kicked Mellow Yellow off, and I did it for three years. And the original campaign was Mellow Yellow Rocks Your Thirst Away, you know? Okay. 
And you know, it was a big old deal. You know, it's a mellow yellow, rock show thirst, rock show thirst away. Hello, I'm Leon Evans. When I get hot and thirsty on stage, there's nothing like a good old cold mellow yellow and yeah. all this kind yeah. of stuff, you That's know, true. blah, blah, blah. You know. But it, it was good though, because I was touring back then you know, yeah. all over. And we had this little card, they gave me a card, and we could go anywhere and get cases of Meliella for the band on the, uh -huh. on the bus, you know. Man, we'd get them, show them this card, and we can get them <laughs> how many Meliellas we wanted for free, you know. That's great. That's so great. me and my whole band, we turned into Meliella junkies, man. <laughs> it was free, you know. Right, right. What, what do you have? You did tell me you, you, had, uh, you have a, a Netflix show that you're starring in. Uh, no, well, um, they approached me on this movie deal. Okay. It's a mo they sent me a script, and it's called Dad. Okay. D-A-D, Dad. Right. It's kind of like a boxing movie, but it ain't a Rocky thing or nothing like that. It's, a, okay. it's really a great, great movie. Uh, um, and I'm playing, well, how it all became, I, I was, when I was young, uh, I was a Golden Gloves champ. Okay. I'd never been, been, never been beat. And, uh, but anyway, my wife died when my son was born. I raised my son by myself. Well, uh, I couldn't afford to go on and pursue my boxing career, so I had to work. But I, I raised my son, and he would go to the gym with me. And I started teaching my son how to box. And it, this is what the movie comes up through that part. And he grew up. And when he got old enough that he could start in uh, competition, whatever, you know, uh, he started boxing. Man, he was incredible. Right. And nobody could beat him. Well, now, as the movie goes on, He's 22 years old now, and um, he's the number one contender in the world. And so, it's just me and my son, we didn't have any money, you know, but he's the number one contender in the world. So, so the mob and all this kind of stuff, all the money people that had all the money on the champ, you know, they was getting a little worried they heard so much about my son, so they sent somebody down there to watch a sparring thing. They went back and they said, you know, hey, there's no way the champ can beat this kid. Impossible. Right. So they put uh, some thugs out there. When my son was supposed to come out of the gym that night, they're going to shoot his kneecaps. Well, his wife was at the gym that night. And uh, I just had a grandson. They just had a son. Okay. And uh, when they came out of the gym, they went to shoot the kneecaps. And some got stupid, crazy, and they just started shooting. Well, they killed my son and killed my daughter-in-law. Okay. Now here I am. I got a grandson now, and so that's the, that's that, where the story kind of kicks off. Yeah, like, yeah okay. right. And it, it, that's why it's called dead. Yeah. yeah. And then I get mad. And I, I know who done it, but they couldn't prove anything. So I go to the boxing commission. Yeah. And I said, I demand that I fight for my son right, for the title. Right. They said, You're an old man. This kid will kill you. You know. And so anyway, I and there was a laugh. You know, it was a big laugh and joke, you know. But anyway, they finally agreed, and it showed me going into some inhumane training. Rocky wasn't nothing. Okay. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, long story short, I go in and I fight, and I ain't gonna tell you the rest of Don't it. Don't tell me the end. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tell me the end because we gotta, we gotta keep. We gotta, uh, it turns out it'll make you ball and cry okay. at the end of it, okay. and it ain't because of what happened. It's because my grandson. Okay. But it, uh, you know, okay. it's awesome movie. That it sounds awesome. good. And yeah. it's a Netflix. It's a Netflix movie. Netflix yeah. movie, yeah. Produced by Produ them and, and production is supposed to start uh, last part of September. Okay. And uh, are you releasing gospel records? That's yes, yes, what I'm doing now. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have, a, do you have any a new one coming out? No, I just got one. It's been out 20 days today. Oh, okay. Uh, What's it called? It's called "I'll Never Take My Jesus Out of My Heart." Okay. And um, it's 22 days. Okay, it's 22 days of 1,618,168 views in okay. 22 days. That's the video. Yeah. yeah that's cool. that's the song. And uh, as of right now, it is. Uh, that's cool. This afternoon, I can't read it. I ain't got my glasses. What six five eight zero one. Yeah. Right. So it's cool. it's. It's really coming on. Awesome. Never, never, ah. never take my Jesus out of my heart. Cool. Oh, how sweet oh, the sound that saved a wretch. 
Finally, here's a big official birthday wish to Overdrive contributor, Muller Trucking Hauler, and singer-songwriter Paul Marhofer, who will take us out with a big send-off to his wife of 38 years, Denise. This finale from Marhofer's Thursday night set features an original track of Paul's and a rousing rendition of Vern Gostin's Do You, Do you Believe Me Now? Marhofer's back on the stage at the TA Petro parking community at Gats tonight, too. Enjoy. Across the clear Santa Rosa sky With that little brown bottle And a toothpick Neath your child Laying heavy On the throttle This was to be Final run is yonder over the next horizon. She awaits you dressed in lace, but another's arms will hold her. Could you never again see her face? Loaded fast out to shaking from back feeders from the San Joaquin team with an old hand out the bar stove. Girl named Christian, methamphetamine. You were eastbound. the black top 
Shylock sequin down a bayou stream. There's a road they call the Beeline, and it's U.S. Highway 54. About an hour out of Narabasa. That's where the flatlands they start to roll. There the nights grow deathly quiet till you meet a blast of wind. Don't be troubled. That's just some drover racing to the hall you'll never see again Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm Texas welcome to the Stone Creek Four.